Chapter 72 of Thomas Wingfold Curate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Thomas Copeland. Thomas Wingfold Curate by George MacDonald. 72. Further Decision. The day after his confession to Mr. Hooker, a considerable reaction took place in Lingard. He did not propose to leave his bed, and lay exhausted. He said he had caught cold, he coughed a little, wondered why Mr. Wingfold did not come to see him, dozed a good deal, and often woke with a start. Mrs. Ramshorn thought Helen ought to make him get up. Nothing, she said, could be worse for him than lying in bed. But Helen thought, even if her aunt were right, he must be humoured. The following day Mr. Hooker called, inquired after him, and went up to his room to see him. There he said all he could think of to make him comfortable, repeated that certain preliminaries had to be gone through before the commencement of the prosecution, said that while these went on, it was better he should be in his sister's care than in prison, where, if he went at once, he most probably would die before the trial came on, that in the meantime he was responsible for him, that although he had done quite right in giving himself up, he must not let what was done and could no more be helped prey too much upon his mind, lest it should render him unable to give his evidence with proper clearness, and he should be judged insane and sent to Broadmoor, which would be frightful. He ended by saying that he had had great provocation, and that he was certain the judge would consider it in passing sentence, only he must satisfy the jury there had been no premeditation. I will not utter a word to excuse myself, Mr. Hooker, replied Leopold. The worthy magistrate smiled sadly and went away, if possible more convinced of the poor lad's insanity. The visit helped Leopold over that day, but when the next also passed, and neither did Mr. Wingfold appear nor any explanation of his absence reach him, he made up his mind to act again for himself. The cause of the curate's apparent neglect, though ill to find, was not far to seek. On the Monday he had, upon some pretext or other, been turned away. On the Tuesday he had been told that Mr. Lingard had gone for a drive, on the Wednesday that he was too tired to be seen, and thereupon had at length judged it better to leave things to right themselves. If Leopold did not want to see him, it would be of no use by persistence to force his way to him. While on the other hand, if he did want to see him, he felt convinced the poor fellow would manage to have his own way somehow. The next morning, after he had thus resolved, Leopold declared himself better and got up and dressed. He then lay on the sofa and waited as quietly as he could until Helen went out, Mr. Faber insisting she should do so every day. It was no madness, but a burning desire for life, coupled with an utter carelessness of that which is commonly called life, that now ruled his behavior. He tied his slippers on his feet, put on his smoking cap, crept unseen from the house, and took the direction of the abbey. The influence of the air, by his weakness rendered intoxicating, the strange look of everything around him, the nervous excitement of every human approach, kept him up until he reached the churchyard, across which he was crawling to find the curate's lodging, when suddenly his brain seemed to go swimming away into regions beyond the senses. He attempted to seat himself on a gravestone, but lost consciousness and fell at full length between that and the next one. When Helen returned, she was horrified to find that he had gone. When or whither, nobody knew. No one had missed him. 
Her first fear was the river, but her conscience enlightened her, and her shame could not prevent her from seeking him at the curate's. In her haste she passed him where he lay. Shown into the curate's study, she gave a hurried glance around, and her anxiety became terror again. "'Oh, Mr. Wingfold,' she cried, "'where is Leopold?' "'I have not seen him,' replied the curate, turning pale. "'Then he has thrown himself in the river,' cried Helen, and sank on a chair. The curate caught up his hat. "'You wait here,' he said. "'I will go and look for him.' But Helen rose, and without another word they set off together, and again entered the churchyard. As they hurried across it, the curate caught sight of something on the ground, and, springing forward, found Leopold. "'He is dead!' cried Helen, in an agony, when she saw him stop and stoop. He looked dead, indeed, but what appalled her the most reassured Wingfold a little. Blood had flowed freely from a cut on his eyebrow. The curate lifted him, no hard task, out of the damp shadow, and laid him on the stone, which was warm in the sun, with his head on Helen's lap, then ran to order the carriage, and hastened back with brandy. They got a little into his mouth, but he could not swallow it. Still, it seemed to do him good, for presently he gave a deep sigh, and just then they heard the carriage stop at the gate. Wingfold took him up, carried him to it, got in with him in his arms, and held him on his knees until he reached the manor-house, when he carried him upstairs and laid him on the sofa. When they had brought him round a little, he undressed him and put him to bed. "'Do not leave me,' murmured Leopold, just as Helen entered the room, and she heard it. Wingfold looked to her for the answer he was to make. Her bearing was much altered. She was both ashamed and humbled. "'Yes, Leopold, Mr. Wingfold will, I am sure, stay with you as long as he can.' "'Indeed I will,' assented the curate. "'But I must run for Mr. Faber first. "'How did I come here?' asked Leopold, opening his eyes large upon Helen after swallowing a spoonful of the broth she held to his lips. But before she could answer him, he turned sick, and by the time the doctor came was very feverish. Faber gave the necessary directions, and Wingfold walked back with him to get his prescription made up. End of chapter 72 Recording by Thomas Copeland